Uh, Peter Lynch says this. He says, far more money has been lost by investors preparing for corrections or trying to anticipate corrections than has been lost in corrections themselves. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us on the Financial Pathway Podcast with Nate Skellett, where we discuss important financial questions and give you practical advice to guide you on your financial journey. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing and leaving us a review. You can also follow the Financial Pathway page on Facebook for more helpful financial tips and videos. All right, so I know when we use the word bubble, that is really an emotionally charged word that can bring up some very vivid memories of 2008 and the market uh, housing market crash or 2000 and the tech bubble burst. So I want to first of all acknowledge that the conversation we're about to have today, I want to make sure it's not sending the wrong message. This is not about being sensational. This is not about hyping up a problem beyond proportion. That's not how I operate. That's not what I want this podcast to be. However, it's an important question. It's one that many people have asked me recently. It's one that I've asked myself. And it's I think it's a timely topic. And it's one that really is the, the solution or what we can do about it really is timeless. Whether we're facing a bubble or not facing a bubble, the answers to our problem are usually the same, whether in, in good times or bad. So let me first of all say that there's always, I mean, always going to be someone ringing the alarm bell about the stock market. I mean, if you're pessimistic, if you have a bearish view of the economy and of stocks in general, you're always going to find somebody that agrees with you that's going to be calling for why stocks are in a bubble and impending doom is right around the corner. So there's just white noise. So we have to first of all acknowledge there's always going to be call, somebody calling for a stock market bubble and, and, and why there's going to be a recession right down the road. But every now and then those voices kind of go from white noise to a lot more radio chatter. And all of a sudden you start picking it up on all the frequencies and you're like, hold on a second. I'm hearing this a whole lot more. And, and this is something that we're seeing right now. A lot more voices, very prominent voices, very respected voices are now saying, hey, we're concerned about the stock market, where it's at and these prices. And so because of that, I thought it would be good for us to do an entire episode on this. Um, I understand that these conversations can kind of appeal to our fear because it's like, oh man, that would be really terrible and think about what would happen to my portfolio, my 401k, and I don't like to think about that. As we talked about before, it's really imperative that we don't make emotionally based decisions, especially ones born out of fear. It's okay for us to feel fear or to feel a little bit of that um, that anxiety, if you will, around investments because it's personal. It's our money. We worked hard for it. We don't like to see it go down. It, it, it's okay to feel that, but we want to make sure we don't act on that. And so this, this episode will help us to do that, to sort of talk through the pros and cons of the situation and then give some very specific advice on what we can do going forward. So what I'd like to do in this episode is, first of all, lay out the case for why U.S. stocks are in a bubble. And this is not necessarily, you know, Nate Scully's manifesto as to here's why stock is the stock market's in a bubble, but rather here's some of my observations. Here's some observations I've um, uh, brought in from others that I've seen. And then I'm going to give the counter argument for why the stock market's not in a bubble and some things that people would say to alleviate the concerns. But then number three, I want to give some practical advice on how you should invest going forward. So what can we do with this information? What are some action steps? And keep in mind, you know, just like anything in life, if you're sitting in a jury 
and the, it's the prosecution's turn first to make their case. If the prosecutor's worth their salt, he's going to have you thinking that that person is no. There's no way this person's not guilty by the end of his, you know, uh, evidence and his case and his statement, right? I mean, if he's good at his job, he's going to have you thinking, oh, he must be guilty. But then the the defense attorney's going to get up and they're going to let out their case. And if you listen to both, then it's probably going to be hard and something that you have to think through and and consider and make an informed decision from there. What we got to be careful about is not entering into a discussion having a preconceived notion of what we believe to be true and then just looking for a line of reasoning or arguments that are that 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 um, confirm that to us and then say ah case closed I don't need to hear anymore no let, let's consider both sides of the argument let's consider all the evidence available let's let's understand that it's a nuanced conversation and then try to make an informed decision from there so let's start with why this U.S. stock market is in a bubble. Again, some of my observations, some things that I've seen from others, and here's the case. I, and by the way, it's not comprehensive. I mean, there's a lot of things we could go into and all kinds of detail, but I'm going to sort of boil it down to three main points. The first point is, is hype. If I could summarize this first point in, in one word, it would be hype. There's a lot of unbridled optimism in the market, and, and you've seen it. I've seen it. It's all over social media. Uh, articles. It seems like everything's about crypto and NFTs and stock market, and everybody's just has this un, unbridled optimism that that everything's going to go up. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what you buy; it's going to be worth more tomorrow. So um, just buy, buy, buy. And there's a lot of demand out there, and we've seen it in um, you know GameStop and AMC, like we talked about last year, um, Dogecoin, or as I've I've been informed, Dogecoin is the uh, is is the correct pronunciation. Uh, maybe you've heard of NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And there's a lot of um, a lot of excitement uh, about that. You have Tesla stock, and on and on the list goes. A lot of um, examples here recently of investors that are just flooding into different investments, believing that it's going to make a quick, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a quick return on their money. And I think one that I saw here recently that's a really great encapsulation, kind of in a nutshell. Just goes to show how how much demand, you know, how much hype um, there is, and speculation. I think is probably a, a, another good word to um, uh, to summarize this this concern. Uh, maybe you've seen the, the company Rivian is an electric car company. It would be a rival to Tesla, or, or hopes to be a rival to Tesla. The problem is they haven't actually sold any cars yet, um, but they went public, so they offered their stock to the public here recently. Had an IPO, and um, it went very well for Rivian. Their stock price soared over a hundred billion dollars. Their their market cap, you know, the collective value of all their stock, which would put them at like number six or seven as far as most valued, uh, valuable car companies by stock price. So it was higher than GM, Ford, BMW, Honda, all, all kinds of car companies that are super established, do billions of dollars in revenue, and they haven't sold a car yet. And it was just a really great, I think, encapsulation of what's going on in the market that. Why are people buying stock in a company and acting like it's already a winner when it hasn't sold a car yet? Now, I mean, this is nothing to, to make fun of Rivian or, or to try to put them down. I mean, they may very well be uh, very quickly become um, a dominant player in, in the electric car space. We just don't know yet. And so I think what we're seeing is a lot of investors kind of getting ahead of themselves and having a really optimistic um, viewpoint or, 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 or um, yeah, viewpoint 
of where these stocks are headed without the evidence, without the underlying fundamentals there. So hype is a big concern. A lot of people are saying, hey, this doesn't seem right. This this has shades of the tech bubble and how just about everybody and their uncle is buying stocks and thinking that it doesn't really matter. They're all going up. Um, now, that's that's more subjective. That's harder to quantify. And so I feel like that's probably the, the weakest argument. Um, I think it's a I think it's a fair argument, but probably not the most compelling argument. Um, so number two, the second reason why stock market's in a bubble is you have to look at the metrics, the math behind it. And I think this is the more compelling case. When you look at all the different metrics that analysts will use to determine whether or not a stock is appropriately priced, they have quite a few tools at their disposal. And um, I, I want to look at a couple just, just by way of example uh, for sake of time. Um, let's start with um, PS ratio, price to sales ratio. So what this does is it compares the, the sales, the revenue of a company to the total of their stock price and then makes and then the ratio between. So if it, if it does a billion dollars in sales a year and the total value of their stocks is $2 billion, that's their market cap, then the PS ratio is two, twice the amount of their yearly sales. Um, so the average PS ratio has been about 1.5, 1.6 in the US stock market. So one and a half times annual sales. Um, but what we're seeing right now is in the S&P 500, it's, it's about 3.15. So it's about twice the historic average. Um, that's the highest PS ratio that we've seen. Um, and there's 73 of the 500 S&P 500 stocks, which are 500 of the largest stocks in the US stock market, 73 of them have a PS ratio over 20, which is quite astonishing because uh, ordinarily, there would only be a small handful. Like, I mean, you know, maybe count on one hand, two hands, the number of stocks that are of PS over 20. What that means is there's lots of companies out there that their sales are not there yet. And maybe the stock buyers believe that the sales will get there over time because this has such a growth potential and their their arc is is, is so, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's going to be, you know, so exponential that they'll get there where they need to be very quickly. But where they're at right now and the sales that they have right now compared to the price seems to be out of touch. And that's concerning. Now, another ratio is, is the PE ratio. So price to sales is how much money they just, just total revenue. PE measures the price to the earnings. So after the company pays their wages and taxes and overhead and materials and all of those things, after they pay their expenses, what's left over? What's their profit? And then compare that to price. And some people like to use that measure that metric. And um, and that too tells a similar story because the historic PE ratio of, of the US stock market's around 16, 17. And right now it's it's closer to 30. So almost twice the historic average. And and the, the thing is, folks, anytime you're looking at a, a problem and somebody cites one chart or one statistic and then acts like that's the clinching smoking gun, like, aha, see numbers. Uh, that's very misleading. I mean, you can find, if you look at it from the right angle or find the right number, you, you can make any situation seem worse or better than it than it truly is in reality. It's in the aggregate of that information that I think a clearer picture emerges. The problem here with the US stock market is it doesn't really matter which metric you're looking at, PS, PE ratio, CAPE ratio, uh, the Buffett rule, you compare the GDP of the US to the total market cap. Like all of them are telling the same story. It's not all like in lockstep that they're all like, yes, the U.S. stock market is 30% overvalued. You, you, they arrive at you know slightly different conclusions, but they're all on the side of it's overvalued. 
that the prices right now compared to where they are historically in the fair market kind of media in that sweet spot, it's all above that. And so that's concerning. And I feel like that's a more compelling case and one that's, uh, that's hard to ignore. Thirdly, though, what's, again, evidence that the U.S. stock market is in a bubble is that uh, when you look at the history of how the U.S. stock market has performed compared to international stocks, that's, uh, U.S. stock market has done very well recently, okay, compared to the rest of the world. Over the last 10, 20 years, U.S. stock market has had a huge edge. And when you look at longer periods of time, like 50, 100 years, the U.S. does have a, have a slight historical edge. The U.S. has done very well uh, just compared to the entire world, but it's not like a, a far and away clearly, you know, um, miles of distance. It's, it's a slight edge. But all throughout that time, what we see is we see periods of time where the U.S. does better and then international companies do better, you know, relatively compared. And so it kind of swings back and forth. It's not like the U.S. has just always been in the lead and continues to be in the lead. No, it, it, it flips. It rotates. The, the winners change. And what's happened now is the U.S. has been a winner for quite a while now, which begs the question, how long will it continue to be the winner? How long will it continue to do better than international stocks? And, and it's hard to answer that question. Of course, we don't know for sure, but it's a valid concern. And I think it's a good argument to be made in, in, in favor of the idea that the U.S. will not continue um, to, to outperform for much longer. By the way, um, U.S. stock market has done very well these last couple of years, uh, especially since coronavirus, but that's been mainly driven by a handful of stocks, the, the big dogs, uh, FANG stocks, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, add in uh, Microsoft, Tesla. These are stocks that are very large comparatively, and if they do well, then it kind of has an, an outsized effect on the entirety. So the S&P 500 is a measure of the 500, 500 of the largest stocks in the U.S. stock market, but it's, it's market-weighted, meaning the bigger stocks have a much bigger effect on the overall um, performance. So 30% of the total value of the S&P 500 is in the top 10 stocks. So it means Apple, which is currently the number one stock by size, if it changes 5% in value, then it will change the entire S&P 500 by a third of a percent, up or down. I mean, you're going to feel that. You're going to see that. But if uh, United Airlines, which is currently number 422 by size, if they change by 5%, you're not going to feel it because that changes the entire S&P 500 by two one-thousandths of a percent. All right, it's, it's, it's basically a blip on the radar. So what's happened is since coronavirus, the stock market dropped very quickly and then rebounded very quickly. And when you look at the S&P 500 index and the NASDAQ and the Dow Jones, they all show, man, we're doing great. Stock market's rebounded. It's, it's back where it needs to be. But what you don't realize is until you zoom in closer, that's re really mainly driven by a small minority of the stocks. Most of the stocks in, in the U.S. stock market have done mediocre since then. A lot of them have even lagged. So you've got a few really big dogs that are kind of covering for everybody else right now. Here's a great quote to keep in mind. This is from Jack Bogle, founder of Vanguard. He says, reversion to the mean is the iron rule of the financial markets. Reversion to the mean. So just because something is on a hot streak doesn't mean it's going to continue on a hot streak. If I have flipped heads 10 times in a row, I have a 100% rate of flipping heads. The longer I do that, the closer it's going to go from 100% down to 50. It's the reversion to the mean. It's the law of averages, right? If I have 10 heads in a row... 
eventually I'm going to hit a streak similarly with tails that's going to offset that. So just because the U.S. stock market has done very well recently doesn't mean it's going to continue to do that. In fact, it would actually point to the opposite that there's going to be coming a streak very soon that um, that where it's going to underperform so that the, 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 the average stays uh, in the same historical range. So when is that drop coming? Okay, well, that's the million-dollar question. It's hard to say. We don't know. But we, we do know that when a bear market hits, they historically have been from 20 to 50% drops. I mean, these are significant drops. This is not like 100% drops. Stock market is, is no more, and these companies have gone to zero. But, but these are, are significant drops and ones that um, they're memorable. Let's put it that way. So these are all reasons, and I think valid reasons, why people are concerned about where the U.S. stock market is. But let's consider the counterpoints. What would somebody say in response to say, well, yes, that's true, but uh, actually prices are much closer to where they should be because of these reasons. Well, first of all, and some of these are my observations, again, some of these are, are, are from others, but just to kind of lay out the case in, in a nutshell, um, first of all, it is difficult to compare eras. You know, if we're trying to compare now to, say, the tech bubble, um, certainly there are many similarities, but it's, it's a different market environment. Um, it's not an apples-to-apples -apples comparison. Uh, 20 years ago, even 100 years ago, the, the longer back we go, the harder it is to really replicate the same conditions. So right now we have interest rates that are historically low. So where is money going to go? I mean, if, if you're going to put your money in a bank, it's paying next to nothing. If you put your money in U.S. Treasury bonds, you're making one, maybe one and a half percent. With inflation, that's a negative return. You're losing purchasing power because inflation is going higher than your the rate of return of your bonds each year. That's problematic. So if anybody wants to get a good return on their money, where are they going to go? Well, the answer for many people is stocks. So you've seen a lot of money move into stocks because... That's where the return is. That's where the long-term inflation hedge is. And we also have greater access to the market than ever before. 20 years ago, 40 years ago, you didn't have apps on your phone. It wasn't as easy to just open a brokerage account and get $0 trades for ETFs and for stocks. So more and more of the average Joe investor has access to the market. We have stimulus checks coming in. Where's a lot of that money going? People are putting it in the market. They're buying some kind of investment. Um, 401ks are now more popular than ever. Again, 40 years ago, even 20 years ago, not as many people involved or, or contributing to their 401ks. Whether it was a pension plan, maybe a lot of people didn't even have 401ks. So as people contribute and more inflows are coming into 401ks, where does that money go? It goes into mutual funds, index funds that invest their money in, you guessed it, largely stocks. So you just have more money coming in than ever before. Another consideration is that demand itself could be artificially dampened right now. That what we're seeing as far as demand in the market is not even truly the, the, the real demand that would be there if it were not for COVID. Because COVID restrictions have limited travel, limited the entertainment industry especially. And so you have all of this backlog demand that if COVID outlook all of a sudden gets better and new variants are not as deadly and, and restrictions start to ease... Man, a lot of this pent-up demand might flood back in and, uh, you know, increased revenue and earnings, and that leads to a new surge. Um, so, and then the backlog supply chains and, 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 and that getting worked out. And, and so we might be right around the corner from yet another surge <laughs> and another jump in the market because of this backlog demand. Um, another uh, a reason is many corporations are sitting on records, record amounts of cash right now. At the end of quarter two of 2021, we had $6.8 trillion that U.S. companies had in cash ready to be deployed. So these are reasons that people are pointing to to say, well, okay, 
But there's a counter story to all of this. And here are some reasons why things may not be really inflated at all. In fact, they might be very accurately priced to where they should be with all these things considered. So you say, all right, well, Nate, uh, just just cut to the chase. Which is it? Is it overvalued? Is it, are we in a bubble? Are we not in a bubble? <laughs> well, I wish I could say with 100% certainty that I knew, but that would not be truthful because I don't know with 100% certainty. In fact, nobody knows with 100% certainty. Anybody that would tell you, I know 100% sure the U.S. stock market is in a bubble or I know that it's not in a bubble. Okay, they're lying. Either they're lying to themselves because they really think that they've considered every possibility and outcome that they could have an 100% certainty, or they're exaggerating their certainty and maybe they're 80% sure, but they say they're 100% because that's more compelling and gets more people to listen to them than saying they're 80% sure. Um, I don't know. Nobody knows. Uh, the you, the world economy and, and the markets are too complex for any one person to have uh, figured out every possible outcome or, or, or you know possible avenue. I would say that if I had to lean one way or another, I would lean towards the idea that U.S. stocks are in a bubble and that they're overpriced, mainly because of the metrics that I, I shared with you. But here's the problem. You say, okay, well, Nate, if you believe that U.S. stocks are overvalued, that they're in a bubble to some degree, whether it's 20%, 30%, 50%, whatever the case may be, what are we supposed to do about it? Okay, How, how do we go forward? How do we take advantage of that knowledge or that inclination or that data? Well, the, re- the reasons I'm going to share with you, what we can do about it, are, are timeless, they're principles, and they would be true regardless of the market conditions. And that's really what, what makes for good investing is not reacting to information in the moment, but rather having um, guardrails, having rules and principles that guide your investment decisions that are timeless and that work in good times and in bad. So the first thing we have to do is we have to manage expectations. Okay, you have to know what a reasonable outcome for the next few years is going to be. First of all, uh, every year on average, there's a drop of 10 to 20%. It doesn't happen every year. Some years it's two or three times, some years it's zero times, but the average is once a year, 10 to 20%. And the next time we see one of those, the temptation is going to be to say, oh, here it comes. We talked about this. I heard Nate's podcast. Uh, U.S. stock market's in a bubble. This is the start of a recession. Well, maybe it is, but maybe it's not. In fact, statistically, mathematically, it's probably not because only one out of every four uh, corrections go uh, lower than 20%, turn into a bear market, turn into a recession. Right? Most of them correct. After they get into that 10 to 20% range, they turn around and, and correct themselves, and they're, and they're right back, uh, back in the positive. Every three to five years, we're going to see a drop of 20% or more, a bear market. We saw one in 2020, 2008. 2000. So there's big gaps, eight years, 12 years. How much of a gap are we going to see until the next one? Nobody knows. But when they do happen, they're quite severe, 20% or more. I mean, that's think about it. If you've got $100,000 in your 401k, that means it's dropping to lower than 80,000 if it's all in stocks. All right. Um, so that's not easy to go through. But here's the thing, folks. If, if you're not prepared for that level of fluctuation, if you're not prepared for that possible outcome, if the idea of a 30, drop in the value of your account scares you, well, then you shouldn't be in stocks or you shouldn't be 100% in stocks. If if that's going to make you panic and sell, then then you need to retool your expectations or retool your risk tolerance, retool your investments to to coincide with that. Um, So have realistic expectations. Right now, there's a huge disparity in uh, what financial professionals and what the public at large thinks is a reasonable return. I recently saw a survey um, 
in which they surveyed financial advisors and just regular investors. And they said, what's your expected return going forward? I think it was for 10 years, maybe 15 years. Financial advisors were in the range of 6%. Everybody else was in the range of 17.5% was their, their average return expectation. Folks, can I just like say with no uncertain terms, 17.5% long-term return is not realistic. Okay. Yeah, you can get that in a year's time. You might be able to do that over three or even five years, but over 20 years, no. I mean, that's if that happens, then you're very fortunate because you just happened to end up investing at the right time frame in history. That was not skill, okay? Um, 17.5% return, that is not realistic whatsoever. In fact, the reason why so many financial professionals are saying 6% is because they know that we've had a really good run and they know about reversion to the mean. They know the law of averages. They know that just because things have really well gone really well recently probably points to the picture that in the near future, things will not be as good and will be a little bit lower than the average. And so if anything, you should be expecting low. Keep your expectations low and that way you won't be disappointed or or tempted to make some kind of really rash decision in the moment. So uh, that's a huge concern to me, that, that people have outsized expectations of the market because for the last five years, they've been able to get you know, 15% on their returns. Uh, That's concerning. That's not realistic. All right. So manage expectations. Number two, don't try to time the market. I I, I know the temptation is going to be, hey, if the US stock market's in a bubble, I know what I'll do. I'll sell stocks now, wait for the drop, buy the dip, and then I'll be, I'll I'll, I'll be, uh, I'll be a genius. I'll, I'll be a net winner in the end. Uh, Peter Lynch says this, he says, far more money has been lost by investors preparing for corrections or trying to anticipate corrections than has been lost in corrections themselves. More people get themselves in trouble trying to anticipate and get ahead of something than they do just riding it out and letting it happen um, in real time. And the, the, the reason why it's, just, it's so alluring is because hindsight's easy. I can easily look back at 2020 or 2008 or 2000 and say, oh, yeah, you just, you sell... When, when, you know, all the, the, you know, the numbers and the, the charts start to point towards it being overvalued, go ahead and sell, wait for the dip. It's inevitable. It's going to come buy down low, you know, buy, buy when it's low. And then you, you ride the recovery back up. The problem with that is that it, it's really, really hard to time it just right. When do you know when it's the top? When do you know it's the bottom? The thing is, if, if you'd followed the quote unquote experts advice in market timing, Back in 2013, they were saying that the U.S. stock market was overvalued. I mean, eight years ago, people were saying, oh, oh no, this is a problem. U.S. stocks are too high. And they said it in 2016, in 2017, 2019. If you followed their advice and you said, oh, yeah, okay, it looks like it's overvalued, you would have been, you've been significantly much worse off today. That's the whole point. When do we sell? When's the time to sell? Hard to say. If you sold now, is this the top? Or will this continue to run for a year, three years, five years? I don't know. Hard to say. I don't know. You don't know. And that's why market timing is so difficult. And then on, uh, equally difficult is when do you jump back in? So for instance, let's say that you know, S&P 500 is around 4,500 points right now. So let's say we sell now because it's, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit a recession. And I'm going to wait till it hits 5,000. Then it'll drop. It'll drop down to like 3,800 and I'll buy it at 3,800 and Okay, well, what if what if it doesn't? What if it hits five thousand and keeps going? What if it goes to fifty five hundred? Are you going to buy back in? No, of course not. You're not going to buy back in because you already thought it was overvalued. Then why would you buy back in at a higher price? What keeps running? It goes to six thousand. Now you really feel stupid, man. I, I could have done great. 
but now I'm at, and now now I'm committed to this thing. I got to wait for the dip. Well, the dip finally happens. It's a 20% correction down to 4,800. Are you buying then? Is that the dip? Is that the bottom? Okay. Or do you hold on? Do you hold on till it drops before below 4,500? What if it starts going back up after 4,800? You see what I mean? It's 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 much easier in theory than it is in practice. Don't go down that road. Far and away, people that try to do the market timing, they're not better for it. And uh, they, they, they kill themselves with, with anxiety in the meantime. Okay. Instead, you determine your long-term strategy. And as long as you're going to be invested for 10, 20, 30 years, even if the market does hit a correction, does hit a bear market in the near term, that's okay. You, you have enough time to be able to rebound and you'll be just fine in the long run. And then thirdly, and probably most importantly, this is why you need to diversify. Um, this, this is exhibit A. Okay. Um, from 2000 to 2010, that's the lost decade. U.S. large U.S. stocks went nowhere from that time frame, from the top of the uh, tech bubble to just right coming out of the um, housing crisis, 2008. It, it, it didn't go anywhere. It was, it was point to point, like 2000, 2010. They call it lost decade for a reason. Zero percent return. Um, so if you were invested solely in large U.S. stocks, you you would have gone nowhere for 10 years. That's that's discouraging to think about. But if you had a diversified portfolio and you invested in uh, maybe a little bit in bonds, a little bit in real estate, a little bit in international stocks, emerging market stocks, some small U.S. stocks, well, you would have come out of that just fine, right? You wouldn't have made a killing during that decade, but you certainly would have been, wouldn't have been at zero either. That's the strength of a diversified portfolio. You don't put all your eggs in one basket just because there's 500 stocks in the S&P 500, just because there's 4,000 stocks traded in, you know, publicly traded U.S. stocks doesn't mean that that's all of a sudden, okay, that's all, I, that's all the diversification I need because these different categories, these different assets move at different speeds from each other. And oftentimes they move in different directions from each other. If U.S. stock market drops, well, bonds, maybe they drop slightly or maybe they go up a little bit. So they offset the losses that you have there. And so that's why it's really important that you're looking at um, how you're invested right now, your time frame, and making sure that you smooth out that volatility that you don't have 100% of your money in US stocks because if you do, you might be in for a really painful decade. Maybe, maybe not, but why take that risk? Instead, diversify, um, lower your risk, and give yourself a better chance of a higher return over time. So <clears throat> as I said, I, I really wanted this to be uh, a helpful episode and not a doom and gloom. This is not time to say, oh no, Nate, I really feel like the US stock market's in a bubble now. And now I'm really concerned. I'm going to be staying up at night and I'm going to be obsessing over my 401k and my, uh, you know, my, my Robinhood app and my, my Schwab account. That's not what this is for. Okay. If you, if you have concerns about how you're invested, you want to make sure that you're properly diversified. You want to make sure that you've, you've got the right mix of investments and, Okay, talk to a financial planner, talk to a financial advisor. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm always available if you want to talk to me. You can send me an email, info at nateskelly.com or visit my website and you can schedule a call with me there. But whoever it is, you got a financial advisor you already work with, great. Make sure that you have communicated with them and you have a plan in place for what's going to happen when, not if, when the market drops. Because we don't know if it's going to be tomorrow or next year or 10 years from now, but it will happen at some point. And if you have not prepared and have a strategy for it, you're going to be susceptible to want to make some of these common mistakes and react emotionally in the moment. Okay, well, we're coming up on Christmas. It's right around the corner. Maybe you're listening to this. You're, you're traveling in the car. You're heading to see family or friends. Um, 
I, mean, I really hope everybody has a, a tremendous Christmas. I know we're really looking forward to being with our family in Virginia this Christmas and, and seeing uh, uh, siblings and uh, nieces um, and, and just being together as a family. It's going to be great. I've got an interview podcast that will be coming up on December 21st. Excited to share that with you here very soon. And then we're going to be jumping into 2022. So we've got a lot of great topics, a lot of things that are kind of uh, – in the hopper, if you will, uh, things that, that I've got ready to go that I want to, I want to tackle in the coming year. Thanks again for listening to this episode, and I hope you have a great day, and we'll see you on the next one.